Welcome back, everybody. Listening to Faith FM. This is the WL team with the M Factor in Aye. in Ethiopia. I got the whole team right here together, bringing you the Encounter with God section, and uh, we have an exciting um, Bible study to get into today. Lyle, yes. Before we do talk about that, I just want to mention something that I think is really beautiful that's just popped up on my news feed, and that is just a quick mention about what happened there in New Zealand with the mosque shooting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, so for the first time in, in history, all the synagogues in New Zealand have decided to be closed on Shabbat um, as, a, as, a, as a sign of solidarity with the bereaved families. I just think this is exactly how people need to be responding. Um, so the, the Jewish community, the New Zealand Jewish Council has released a statement. Um, you know, and amongst other things, they said they're sickened and devastated by the attacks. Um, they offer their full assistance and support to the Muslim community and stand united with it against the scourge of terrorism and which we must do all we can to banish from New Zealand. So decided to shut all their synagogues in the whole country as a sign of love and a sign of support to the Muslim, um, the Muslim community in New Zealand. I think this is exactly how uh, religions need to be treating each other. Like, yes, you know, we don't always agree with what other people believe, but we do need to encourage the freedom for people to believe and to worship how they want to worship and to encourage and support each other. So I think this is a beautiful move, and I just wanted to share that before we dove into our Bible. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I really want to um, I really want to throw my support behind the Jewish community there in New Zealand at this time. Um, and, you know, we need to be doing everything we can from all of the different religions that are out there to be showing, you know, solidarity and support. And... Um, yeah, it's just it's just the most horrific thing that you know is imaginable. I'd love to know what the Adventist Church is doing over there in New Zealand. Maybe we should call someone. Yeah, and ask all the way from Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're, if you're listening online in New Zealand, give us a call. One eight hundred three two four eight four three is our number. Let us know what our church is doing in New Zealand to show uh, support for the Islamic community there at this time, which is suffering such an enormous tragedy. It's it's almost a little bit sad that we have to have a tragedy have an opportunity to build bridges. Oh, isn't we need true? to be creating bridges wherever we can without having tragedy. Um, bridges of friendship. We don't have to agree on everything. Yes. But we can be friends with people. You know, the, the, the whole parable of who is my neighbor. Mm. You know, the guy was a Samaritan. You know, you look at the Samaritan religion. I don't like the Samaritan religion. You know, you go up to Nablus and places like that today in Israel where they, I don't like the Samaritan religion. I don't have to like the Samaritan religion, but I do have to like Samaritans. Yeah. That's right. And that's the whole point of that story. We have to show love for every person and, uh, re- regardless of what their religion is. And we need to show respect and not be judgmental. Yeah. And I think if people have a, a qualm with it, they need to realize that the way that we need to be building bridges with people we don't agree with is the same way that God is trying to build bridges with us personally even though we are horrific sinners he's still trying to reach out and build bridges and connect with us and we need to extend that same gracious love to people that we don't agree with and I think that's a really important point that you bring up as well in that you know we always like to to, uh, to look at other religions and think that we're better than somebody else and forget the fact that you know Jesus talks about you know take the take the log that is out of your own eye before you try and pull a speck of dust out of somebody else's eye. Yeah, fully. 
Good in Lawson. <laughs> Glad to see you pitching in right there. <laughs> Mon's distracted. So I just got to mention Lawson's the, just the three of us are supposed to be at a meeting shortly, and I'm like, well, we can't do that. Yeah, we're not going to happen. Right we're on radio. <laughs> we are in Ethiopia, and we are on radio, and it is all happening. Okay, Revelation chapter 14. We are looking at the three angels' messages. Very, very exciting part of the Bible right here. We noted yesterday that in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus prophesied a time when the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a witness unto all the world, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. John sees the fulfillment of that prophecy here. He calls it the everlasting gospel, and in doing so, what he is telling you is this is the final message, the final gospel message to go to the whole world just before Jesus comes back. So this is the message that all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our uh, what kind of flavor we want to put ourselves to as a Christian, this is the everlasting gospel that we need to be taking to the world. This is the message that is relevant right now, and I have to say, it's heavy stuff. Yeah. Jesus is not holding back, and he is calling out to a world that is lost in sin, and he is stating it pretty much how it is. Okay, so Mon, just a uh, quick review of uh, the passage that we covered yesterday. What did we uh, look at there in verse 7? We, we looked at verse 6 and 7. Um, do you want me to read both? Uh, just, 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 just give us a rundown of the... Uh, we've got four parts, really, of verse 7. Yeah, so we had, uh, we had uh, a loud voice that was saying, Fear God, uh, which we found out was respecting God, so basically being converted, um, honoring His Ten Commandments. Uh, give glory to Him, living our lives to glorify Him. Um, for the hour of His judgment is come. Um, which was present tense and um, and showed that he was fair and then worship him that made heaven, earth, sea, fountains of water which was a direct quote from the Ten Commandments from the from the Fourth Commandment um, referencing the Genesis creation account. Absolutely. So the Bible points us to uh, four different things here. Righteousness by faith, holy living, uh, the judgment, taking place right now and of course the Sabbath. So we know that in the everlasting gospel at the end of time these four elements are going to be key elements of the end time message. We need to be present, we all need to be presenting these four elements of the everlasting gospel. Now we move on to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8 please Lawson. Yes the Bible says in Revelation 14 and verse 8 and another angel followed saying Babylon is fallen is fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, so I see that uh, here in Ethiopia, nobody bought an NLT. And, uh, Hold up, I'll bust mine out. Okay, okay, here it comes, here <laughs> it comes. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> hey, I love the KJV, it's my favourite, and... Uh, I, I find it hard to read this passage from any other translation because I memorized it in KJV because KJV is actually the easiest translation to memorize uh, because it's kind of poetic. But uh, yeah, so here we find about the fall of Babylon. This is an interesting passage because how can Babylon fall? You know, how is that even possible? To fall, you have to be in a position that is high. Yes. You have to be lifted up. You have to be exalted. You have to be... And, and, and biblically fallen means full of sin and evil. And so here the Bible references a time when Babylon was once not full of evil and sin. Mm-hmm. Because you can't fall if you are at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to go. 
All right, so we're going to find out some details about who and what Babylon is. What does Babylon symbolize at the end of time? And why does the Bible say that Babylon has fallen? I've got to tell you, when I look at some of the things that are happening here in Ethiopia and the way that uh, Christian people are being deceived by the prosperity gospel, it just boggles my mind. And it's, to me, the clearest version of Babylon I think I've ever come across. Can I just ask, was ancient Babylon, like the actual physical city, was that near here? Was it near Ethiopia? Uh, well, it was kind of nearer here than Australia? Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nearer to Ethiopia than Newcastle is to Ethiopia. Okay. okay. So ancient Babylon was in Iraq. Oh, gotcha. Now, that's actually remarkably close mm-hmm. because all you do if you're going there the way the crow flies is you head off on the back of your crow across Ethiopia. Um, you'll cross um, the Red Sea. How do, you, how do you pronounce the name of that country that starts with a D? Djibouti? Yeah, that one, Djibouti. You, you cross that one, you cross Yemen, you cross Saudi Arabia, um, curve a little to the left and you hit Babylon. So we're not Sounds that like far away. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm I'm done with traveling. I'm, I'm keen. Hey, 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 hey! You have to, you have to, you have to hear this. Here's, here's some here's some Ethiopian trivia for you. Oh, okay. Did you, we all know about the Babylonian Empire, right? Mm. Massive empire. Yes. Okay. Did you know that the Ethiopian Empire was once bigger than the Babylonian Empire? No. Wow. Are you serious? How? In the third century, the Aksumite Empire, which was where we were in Aksum in northern Ethiopia, was classed as one of the four biggest empires of the world. So the four biggest empires, according to uh, the historian Manny, who was writing of his own time, was Rome, because that's under the Roman Empire, third century. So it was Rome, it was Persia, it was China. We, we all know those are massive empires, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And it was Aksum. I wonder Ethiopia. why we haven't heard more of them. And- it's because Ethiopia became isolated. So basically what happened was that Ethiopia was cut off from the outside world because it became surrounded by Islamic nations. Uh. And it withdrew into the mountains for protection and it was lost to the world for a thousand years. Wow. Well, Babylon fell. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And I'd say that so did the Ethiopian Empire because, I mean, I guess look at it now, right? They might have been the biggest then, but like nowadays I can't even figure out how to work a shower. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah, and it was also one of the most civilised nations. If you look at the ruins that, that, that exist up there around uh, Aksum and Yihar and places like that, we mentioned it yesterday, um, where you've got you know the, the, the tallest obelisk, the largest obelisk wow. ever erected anywhere in the world made out of a single piece of stone, you know, 600 tonnes, 33 metres high, mm. bigger than anything oh, in Egypt, you know. <laughs> There's a single piece of stone bigger than anything you'll find in Egypt. You know, it's crazy. I always think about like those those old structures. I'm like, man, how did they build that? Because we have cranes and stuff now. I know. And but the further me, you go back in history, the bigger the stones get. But check this out. Being in Ethiopia, I realized how they do it. Because they still build modern buildings the same way. They make scaffolds out of sticks and rope. It's like the most hectic thing yeah. ever. It's like... A yeah, 10-story ten, ten high building and up the entire outside of it is sticks and rope scaffolding. Do you, do you reckon that's amazing. how they made these obelisks? Oblis, ob, no, I can't even say the word. Obelisks? Obelisks. Um, well, because you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theory about structures. If you ask, the, if you ask the, the, the tour guide, the local legend is that they were helped by spirit beings. 
Yeah, and that's often a lot of, a lot of people believe. Because, I mean, nobody. The, the reality is that nobody has any idea. They, do, they have found the quarry where they were made. That's about five kilometres away. So you've got a 600-tonne piece of block, piece of rock, that you've got to transport, you know, five kilometres um, without breaking that piece of rock. You've got to carve it out in the first place. Then you've got to transport it, and then you've got to stand it up. Yeah. How? You know, and then and then you've got that. and then you've got um, the temple that stands in front of it, and the roof of the temple. Cop this: the roof of the temple was made out of one single piece of stone, three hundred and twenty ton slab of stone. How do I get it up there? How do they get it up there? You know, and this is this is going back thousand BC. You know, some of these some of these structures. What do you reckon is the answer? Do you reckon spirit? I mean, the the the, uh, the obelisk doesn't go back that far, but some of the other buildings uh, certainly did. I really have no idea. Okay. Um, I, 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 it's like Stonehenge, Stonehenge, and crop circles and all that kind of stuff. These are all mysteries that the archaeologists all theorize about. But the reality is we don't have an eyewitness testimony and we just simply do not know. But the, uh, the Great Obelisk in Aksum is, one of the, is, the, one of the, is the third largest piece of stone ever used in any structure anywhere really? in the world ever. <clears throat> but hang on, so the tour guide said that it was spirit beings. Does that, is that a rumour that's been handed down or is that what their ancient records say? That's the legend that has been handed okay, down. So okay, so it's not yeah. a written record. Um, so written records are going back um, on paper. They're going back to the third century uh, on vellum because they don't use paper here. They don't use paper or papyrus. They use vellum. Everything's written on, on leather. Oh, leather. Okay. Yeah. And, but it doesn't mention how they did this no. feat. And can I just ask out of curiosity, what are the other two larger rock structures? Uh, one's in Baalbek. Uh, foundations for a temple in Baalbek and I do know the third one but it's not coming to my mind what, right now the Baalbek? biggest the biggest one is in Baalbek where's that in Lebanon oh okay right yes put it on your bucket list Baalbek if you've seen the photos of it is amazing see a massive rock bam there you go <laughs> no but there's a there's a whole temple complex there like would blow your mind I could just go to Uluru <laughs> it's, the Hez, 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 it's, the, it's the headquarters of the Hezbollah Okay. What's a Hezbollah? The Hezbollah, you know, like that. Um, <laughs> they were a terrorist organisation. Now they're sort of more involved in politics, and so sort of oh. crossover, crossover. Okay. There okay. you go. Mm. Successful yeah. terrorism. You yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah. In there in Lebanon, they're part of the political process now, and they've got seats in Parliament and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, um, <laughs> but they, you know, they had their own private army, and they kind of still have their own private army and all that kind of thing. So. Far out. All right, yeah. let's let's jump back into. <laughs> well, how do we get to this? Drive the side track. We're talking about Babylon. We were talking about Babylon. I know, I know. How can you not get distracted when you're in such an ancient culture? And so, you you look at the history of Australia, and it's like we see old buildings in Australia, like, oh, you know, the Queen Victoria building in Sydney is so old. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that post office. (laughs) 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 That's all 200 years old. Here you come here, it's like, yeah, there's the Yihar Temple. That's like 3,000 years old. It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Still standing. If you have the opportunity, you should come to Ethiopia. Check it all out. Mm. Okay, so, um, and if you just like big mountains, just come just come for the mountains. I'm serious. Just come for the mountains. Well, we were talking about Babylon. Let's, 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 let's go over to Revelation chapter 17, because Revelation chapter 17 is really what starts to tell us about who Babylon is. Lawson, can you read for us verse 1? Okay, the Bible says in Rev 17 verse 1, One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. 
Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. Okay, so what are, what, what are the symbols that we have right here? Seven angels. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Seven bowls. Uh-huh. Uh, We're going to skip the seven angels and the seven bowls when okay. we come back to them. Prostitute. We have a prostitute. What does a woman symbolize in Bible prophecy? A church. And what kind of church is symbolized right here? Um, a Apostatizing a church. A not good one. Yeah, a not good church. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. A corrupt church. Yes. <laughs> and another symbol. Uh, water. Water, which is according to verse 15. Read for us verse 15. Verse 15, the Bible says, Then the angel said to me, The waters were the prostitute where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language. So here we have a church, the Bible says, that rules over many peoples, nations, languages, and tongues, as it puts it in, uh, in my older translation. Yeah. So a massive church, in other words. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got a symbol of a massive church right here. And Mon, verse 2, please. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Okay, so what kind of a relationship is a fornicating relationship? A not pure... A not not pure one. Holy... Okay, so we have a woman, and she is having relationships with who? The kings of the earth. So we have a church that is having relationships with what? Uh, politics. Political politics. Leaders. We have a union of religion and politics. Mm. The two blending together will always create a disaster. Church and state. Church and state. Okay, so here we have a church that is involving itself in the politics of the world, of the whole world. Not just of its own region, but of the whole world. Okay, so that's very, very significant. And so it must be a big church then, if it's got that kind. Well, of if it rules over, uh, if it's yeah. sitting on water, yeah, and 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 is is collaborating with world leaders, yeah, um, sort of far-reaching church. Sounds like some of the stuff that was going on in, in Revelation chapter thirteen. Ah. Well, while you guys were away, uh, me and me and Darren, we were going through Revelation chapter thirteen. Sounds like uh, some stuff happening over there. Whoa. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> Have we ever heard of anything called repeat and enlarge? <laughs> Same prophecy being repeated using different language. Okay, the Bible says that all the inhabitants of the earth have done what? Um, worshipped. Worshipped, yeah. You're not reading a Bible. Put your Bible in front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read, read what it says. All the inhabitants of the earth have been doing something. They've been made drunk. Okay, they've been made drunk. All right, so we need to... Uh, let me find a verse on that. Um, over in the book of Isaiah, what does alcohol symbolize in the Bible? Mm. Oh, alcohol symbolizes in the Bible um, mm. oh, something, um, um, something um, bad. Um. Something bad? Oh, really? <laughs> no. It couldn't possibly be anything good. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 29 has the answer. There's a great little passage here, and we're going to, uh, you can read the whole lot for, uh, for context. We'll just look at the uh, most important parts. Verse 9, please, Mon. Stay yourselves and wonder, cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stay up, but not with strong drink. Okay, so what you want you to notice here is that these people are intoxicated, correct? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But they have not been drinking alcohol, have they? They have not been imbibing. No. No. So this is where we find out what alcohol symbolizes. They are symbolically intoxicated. Yes. Okay, so let's skip down here. Um, oh, all of these verses are good. 
Um, yeah, just read verse 10 and 11 for us there, Lawson. All right, Isaiah 29, verses 10 and 11, which is uh, actually, Yvonne, can you read this one for us? My, my phone Bible has uh, lost internet. Of course, we are in Ethiopia and we are suffering uh, some this is, And this is, this is where an analog Bible's rules. <laughs> okay, I've never had the battery 11. go flat on my analog Bible. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers has he covered. And the vision of all is become to you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, read this, I pray ye. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Okay. All right. And uh, continuing on from there, the book is delivered to him that is learned, saying, read this, I pray you. And he says, I am not learned. So here you've got a situation where uh, these people are drunk. The reason that they are drunk is because they have the Word of God, but everybody is finding an excuse not to read the Word of God. Um, we'll be right back after this song break. We're going to learn more about what wine represents in the Bible.
Everybody, gotta keep a close eye on the time here. Those songs just keep coming up, but ready or not. But anyway, <laughs> here we go. We were talking about what alcohol symbolizes in the Bible, and we found that alcohol here, we have found people who were intoxicated, but they had not imbibed any intoxicating liquor. And we found that their problem was that they were. Um, Making excuses for not listening to the word of God. You know, the vision has become as the words of a book that is sealed. They give it to one person saying, read this. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. So they give it to somebody else that is learned saying, read this. That is not learned saying, read this. And he says, I cannot, for I'm not learned. All right, so here is where Isaiah then concludes this little piece that he's been sharing. And Mon, if you could read for us verse 13. What does it mean to be intoxicated symbolically? Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the perception of men. Okay, so notice that their honor towards God is taught by... They actually, you misread that. It says precept of men. Oh, sorry. What did I say? The perception. Oh, my bad. Ah, which is very, very similar. It actually kind of works. Okay. It kind of works. Uh, but precept means the teaching, the teachings of men. So their honor to God is not taught by the word of God. It is taught by the teaching of men. And what does that really mean then? So very, very simply, when you replace the word of God with the teachings of human beings, human beings become intoxicated. Spiritually intoxicated. So when you go back to Revelation chapter 17, you find that the whole world has become intoxicated by the teachings of men rather than being hydrated by the Word of God. Wow. Mm. And of course, we, if we look in our time, we're really in a place of intellectualism, you know, where a lot of people, I always, I make jokes about Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro all the time, all these famous, you know, intellectual moral apologists, um, you know, becoming more prevalent in that, you know, social issues are, are, are now something that, are, that has become very political and that all comes from this foundation of you know men's teachings you know everyone being very um yeah, yeah, having having their their own little corner of, of their philosophy, and and um, I think more than any 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 time before, because we've come become so much more comfortable. This is so prevalent, and of course, yeah, uh, our world has become intoxicated. And when a person become into- becomes intoxicated, they lose their mind. Yeah, and our world has lost its mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and gone stark raving mad. And you, I come to a developing country like this, and we think, oh, we're in Australia, we're so far ahead of Ethiopia and everything that we do and Ethiopians look at us and some of the things that happen in Australia and they scratch their heads and go you guys are actually insane yeah you know seriously insane man that's crazy (laughs) I just want to ask though so when we read this verse Isaiah 29 verse 13 um you know, we tend to think oh, these people are no longer following God. They're just running around following each other. You know, what celebrities, political leaders, or whoever, you know, sounds good, looks good, they're going to, you know, follow that. Um, but could this also mean that, you know, the people who are in church, who are no longer having a connection with God and are just following whatever the preacher says? That's exactly it what I mean. It sounds like it's, it's a better it's, option. It's but more so that. 
Yeah. It is actually more so that because Jesus quotes this passage and when Jesus quotes it, he places it in a different context again and makes it even more specific as to what it's actually referring mm-hmm. to. So we should never just rely on our, our, our church leaders to feed us spiritually. We need to be fed straight from God. Mm. Or even our radio hosts. Or even our radio hosts because you'll end up drunk. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you need to be Bible. you need to be reading the Bible for yourself, mm. you know. And, and our church leaders and our radio hosts, God willing, by the by the grace of God, are going to be a part, part of that journey. But we are never a substitute for you reading the Word of mm. God. That's simple. Yeah, I think where it really highlights that in in, in Isaiah twenty nine is where it says, you know, your fear of God. Um, comes from the precepts of men that their, their, their reverence to God their understanding of God how they worship God and follow him is coming from the, the teaching of men which is which is not where it should be coming from it should be coming from what the Bible teaches okay, so what it, God actually wants it kind of casts a new light on the whole dark ages doesn't it oh it does oh this is this is, this is the dark ages through and through right here yeah it's like entire like, you call it, instead of calling it the dark ages it's called the drunk ages <laughs> let me show you let me show you where Jesus quotes this passage it's in found in Matthew chapter 15 and when you read this this, it's going to be even just clearer again exactly what it's all about. Although the what the, the references here we're going to have to show deal with some Jewish culture. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter fifteen. Lawson, is your Bible working yet or not? So, so it, my internet fully came back. Oh, it was okay. awesome, and now it's dropped out again. So. Okay, <laughs> back to the analog Bible, Mon. Matthew, what? Matthew chapter fifteen. Actually, Lawson here use this one and all read right. for us the first Matthew three verses. Chapter fifteen. The Bible says, "Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem." saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they um, wash not their hands when they eat. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Okay, so here you go, Lawson. So many things for you to learn in this verse, Lawson. (laughs) (laughs) But it was Jesus' disciples who were not washing their hands. Hey, there we go. Hey, I'm just following God. I'm just following the Bible. I'm doing my humble work, you know. And they were probably puking before they preached too. (laughs) Okay, let me explain this. This was not a hygienic washing of hands. You still washed your hands hygienically. This was a ceremonial washing of hands. And what you did, here's how it worked. You would take half an eggshell of water. You would pour it onto the wrist of your left hand. You would tilt your hand so that it would run down across the palm and between the fingers of your left hand onto the wrist of your right hand. Then you would tilt that so it would run between the fingers of your right hand and then you were ceremonially clean enough to eat food. Now, if you were in an area where there was no water, you were still allowed to eat, provided that you did it still did the same thing and just pretended. That's so unbelievably stupid. Yeah, okay, we might say that, but, you know, a Jewish person, that's their culture and that's what they do. And, you know, different people have different cultures and different uh, little ceremonies that they like to do. And Jesus was just like... This is not not a hygienic issue. And Jesus' disciples, (laughs) Jesus' disciples didn't do some of these things. Okay. okay. Because they're not in the Bible. It sounds like a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. Yeah, it's a a lovely ceremony, but it's not in the Bible. And so Jesus' disciples, um, they didn't do it because it was kind of a little bit uh, meaningless. Yeah, okay. Amen. And so, uh, and so, and so... So the Pharisees are getting on their case because, um, you know, because they do this, they, they don't do this tradition. And Jesus is like, well, you know what? You break the law of God because you've made a loophole so that you can disobey the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and mother. Oh, wow. They actually made a loophole so they could get around the fifth commandment. What was the loophole? It was long and detailed. I'll share it with you maybe tomorrow. But just uh, finishing off this section right here in uh, verse... 
7, he says, Okay, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah, Isaiah prophesy, prophesy of you, saying, This people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so Jesus takes this passage and he applies it directly to people who will who will uh, teach you to break one or more of the Ten Commandments. The wine of Babylon is the breaking of God's commandments through the teachings of men. We'll be right back after this song. i 
to Faith FM, positively different radio. Are you part of camping caravanning scene? Join Australia's largest annual national gathering of travellers and caravanners at the Stewart's Point Convention Centre this year, Stewart's Point, New South Wales. It's an amazing campground among the trees. Inspirational Christian speakers. With incredible music. And beautiful beaches. And a relaxing environment. Be part of the community and make friends for life. May 10 through 18, Stewart's Point Caravan and Convention Centre. Contact Debbie on O. or simply email raynomads at adventist.org.au
Welcome back, guys. We've come to question of the day time, and our question of the day today is interesting. Interesting question. Yes. To say the least. We get all kinds of questions here on Faith <laughs> FM, so we just we don't make the questions up. You're the guys who ask the questions, so if you ask the questions, then expect to get an answer. Okay. What is our question today? Our question today is, what is a eunuch? A eunuch. Okay, so a eunuch is a man who has been emasculated. Ooh. Uh, this is something that, uh, of course, back in ancient times was incredibly common. Uh, it was a part of the culture of most nations. It was something that took place to control, mostly to control slaves. So you would be able to have the um, the strength of a male slave without having the aggression of a male slave, and therefore he would not be the kind of threat. So it's a little bit the same as we, you know, um, do the same thing to bulls these days and turn them into steers. You know, a bull tends to be aggressive. He tends to be a pain in the neck to have in your paddock full of cows because he's always trying to do his thing and he just annoys all the cows and you generally keep your bull separate unless you want him to be doing his thing. Uh, but if you have all of these calves that are born, of course they are then castrated and they, are, they then become what is known as a steer. A steer does not have the aggression that a bull has because he doesn't have that male testosterone. And so in ancient times, it was very, very common that when you took slaves, you would emasculate all the men, you would castrate all the men. And of course, you got to think about this. This was something that took place, you know, probably with a blunt, rusty knife and no anesthetic, uh, because those kind of things didn't really happen back in the day. They had no idea of sterilization of tools or boiling or, you know, making things clean and so forth. You know, they might just get their slaves, line them all up and uh, chop, 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 and it's all done. And if you were lucky enough enough to survive that, you know, this was very much an issue of survival of the fittest, then you would be a slave. Often these kind of slaves would be put in charge charge of the harem as they were seen as no threat to the king's wives uh, because they were missing their their manly bits. The Bible has a lot to say about uh, eunuchs and the the Bible talks about how God was able to use people who had suffered this um, in remarkable ways. And uh, you kind of think, wow, that's quite the, uh, quite the disability to have to deal with going through life, but it did not stop them from becoming um, very, very amazing servants of God. So if we go to Isaiah chapter 39, uh, down in verse 7, a prophecy here where the Bible says, Your sons that shall issue from you, which you shall give birth to, they shall take away, and there shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is a prophecy about the Babylonian Empire and what would happen to the descendants of you know, Hezekiah and the descendants of royalty because of the disobedience of the nation of Judah. And one of the problems was that they would become eunuchs in the court of Babylon. And so it would, it would be extremely unlikely if Daniel and his friends were not eunuchs. Uh, that would be out of culture with the times. 
And yet we find that Daniel becomes a very powerful entity in the Babylonian Empire. He becomes the Prime Minister of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, His three friends become very high officials in that particular empire and do amazing things for God. Um, Another very, very famous eunuch in the Bible is the one that you read about in Acts chapter 8. And Acts chapter 8 we find that Philip is told to go down into the desert and as he goes down into the desert a very high court official goes riding past in a chariot and he overhears him reading out loud the prophecy of Isaiah 53 which is all about Jesus Christ. And so he runs up there, they have a Bible study together, and this particular eunuch, which, by the way, interestingly enough, seeing as we are there right now, was an Ethiopian. And of course he carried the, uh, the gospel back to uh, the, the court of, of Candace or the Kandaki of Ethiopia, which... That particular Ethiopian uh, nation was a little bit further north of where we are today, um, up in Sudan, but uh, he carries the gospel there, and of course the gospel being established in Ethiopia very, very early on becomes one of the places in the world where Christianity is preserved much more pure than what it is today. Anyway, we're going to move on with Through the Fire by Randy Travis.
Through the Fire by Randy Travis here on Faith FM and we have come to the end of the show and what a show it has been. But that means because we're at the end of the show, we're about to give something away. What are we giving away today, Lawson? Hey, we're giving away a book called The Sign by Sean Boonstra. Ooh, okay, this is a really interesting book. And Sean Boonstra is a good friend of mine, um, an amazing writer, very, very talented individual. And he has written this book called The Sign. Uh, He's going to dig into... Basically, a blessing that God has given to every single one of us that most of us are missing out on. Uh, He's going to look into the issue of the Sabbath. He's going to look into what does it signify, what does it symbolize, how can you get the blessing that is found within it, and uh, yeah, what what uh, how to actually access something that might have been very close to you your whole life and you have never actually really experienced. So yeah, give us a call. Um, First call through gets a copy of the sign by Sean Boonstra. Our number is one eight hundred three two four eight four three. Be the first caller through on that number or text us on 0491-064-669. There you go. End of the show. Because we're still over here in Ethiopia. We're continuing on, marching on with our evangelistic series and whatnot. But yeah, just just loving it. Just having a great time. Absolutely. And if you're back there in Australia, you would like to know about the subjects that we are presenting over here, then give us a call. We can give you the information. Uh, My Prophetic Code series, of course, is available uh, through the Discovery Centre, one 800 is the number. We can make that happen for you for free. Uh, this is 21 presentations, all in full color uh, booklets. Um, you can also text us on 0491 or contact us via our social media. I'm sorry I let fear and doubt in As though I was an orphan Spaces and strengthen 
Thank you.